0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 10. And I want us to read a a few scriptures here that Peter talks about in regards to um, the church of Jesus Christ. We have been studying out of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, primarily, as we understand the body of Christ, and so I have you turn to First Peter, but I do want to start in ephesians and so keep your place in first peter and let 's begin here because in Ephesians, Paul is explaining the revelation that he was given that is the Church of Jesus, and he 's explaining the fellowship of this church. And that the church is the body of Christ. It is the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. And anything less than that is not the church. And so we have a lot of churches. But for the most part, there's, they're really nothing more than organizations. But the, pl- the place where the Holy Spirit lives and he moves through with power is to be the church of Jesus. And so he says in chapter 3 of Ephesians verse 9. He is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. That mystery is the church, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent. This is God's purpose. This is his intention that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. <clears throat> and I just want you to see that. By the church. Do you see that in verse 10? By the church. God's will cannot be done without the church. <clears throat> and that's you, and that's me, that's everyone that has been born again. God's will, God's intention cannot be fulfilled without the church. Church is not something that you attend on Sundays. It's not something that you attend a few more times through the week. It's not just a organization by which you can do some good things in the community. Pardon me. I want you to understand that the church is Jesus's body that he has allowed you to be a part of. It demonstrates the wisdom of God. And the Bible tells us that Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 will fall on his knees before God and pray that the believers would be given the power of the Holy Spirit in their inner man to understand these things. The mystery of the church and the fellowship of the church is not going to be recognized by your intellect. It demands a Holy Spirit revelation. And it doesn't happen automatically because you're born again. But it is the church that God has aligned himself with in order to fulfill his purposes. The Bible says in verse 10 that this is supposed to affect principalities and powers in heavenly places. What we see happening in the world today in Israel, Hamas, Palestine, the streets of our, of our country, the division, the war, the crime, the drug addiction, the abuse. All of that are the strategic actions of principalities and powers. We do not fight with flesh and blood. Paul says that in Ephesians 6. But with principalities and powers. And the only thing that God has... On the earth to demonstrate his manifold wisdom is you. If you're born again, the church of Jesus Christ. In First Peter chapter 1, where I asked you to turn, he begins in verse 10. And he says this, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that the church was a mystery that was kept in the heart of God until God gave the revelation to Paul. The prophets of the Old Testament did not know about the church, but they did prophesy about a new covenant. Many of the prophets declared, particularly Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that a new thing I'm going to do with you. A new covenant I'm going to make with you. And Peter tells us that the prophets of the Old Testament were incredibly interested in this salvation. The salvation that we oftentimes take for granted because we've been in it for 10, 20, 30, 50 years. We've been saved. It no longer wows us. It no longer amazes us. We could sing that song that we opened up with about, you know, that no merit of my own. And we could just sing it like a song. It, 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 it really stokes the fires of our heart to think of this salvation that's come to us. And yet Peter, who walked with Jesus Christ, is still amazed with the salvation of God. And he said this grace that should come to you. This power of God that's going to come into your life. Now he says in verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. For example, when Isaiah would write Isaiah 53. About the coming of the Messiah and he would bear our reproach and he would, the chastisement of our peace would be upon him and he would be wounded and he would suffer. Or when David wrote Psalm 22 about being pierced on the cross and all of his bones being separated out of joint. They didn't just write these. They knew. They knew that a new covenant was coming and grace was coming. And they wanted to know, when is this going to happen? Oh, the glory that is going to come because of this. And they were, they were in diligent search of this. And then he says in verse 12, unto whom it was revealed, and not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things Which are now reported to you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And so here we are again, Peter even affirming that this thing that God has done through his Son Jesus Christ and bringing in a new covenant, a work of grace. By which a new man is going to be created in the earth called the church. It is so absolutely marvelous that that even now angels are trying to understand this. It perplexes them and they study it. They watch it. They watch the grace of God that's going on in your life. To try to comprehend how majestic is the love of God. And the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ. It's sad that Peter would have to go to the next verse. Because it seems as though it's humans that have the salvation that take it for granted. It's those that have the grace. Those that have become the church. Those that are the fulfillment of everything the prophets talked about. Have to be told, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. And that is why I believe God has put it in my heart to labor so diligently these many weeks on the church or the new man. Because I believe without hesitation in my spirit that the church of Jesus Christ in our generation and the generation prior to us has been very ignorant of the church, very ignorant. Of what God needs the church for, very ignorant of what the church is all about. That's why our participation in the church, our tithes and offerings to the church, our prayers with the church, our prayers for the church, our involvement in church life is simply based upon how it conveniences me. Very little. Will we allow the kingdom of God or the mission of the church to inconvenience our life, our prayers, or our giving? And that is why the Holy Spirit had to say to those of us to whom this salvation has come be sober, gird up the loins of your mind, hope to the end. Because there's this grace that's going to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So because that is coming, do not grow weary. Do not allow your mind to relax. Don't become ignorant and live in your former lust. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of this church and what God has desired to perform. Well, Paul wasn't ignorant of it. And because Paul had the revelation of the church, it certainly affected his life. And so because I, I understand that Paul was given the revelation of the church. And Paul expressed that revelation to the Gentiles and to the Jews. I like to look at Paul's life and try to understand how did this revelation affect you? Because I desire for the Holy Spirit to affect me Because I believe as I have the revelation, I will be affected to that same degree or striving after that in God's grace. I don't want the revelation that I've seen in Christianity for the last two generations. I don't want the revelation my parents had. I don't want the revelation my forefathers had. Look at the world it's given us. I want the revelation that the apostles had. I want the revelation that that first century church had. That, that the Bible says they turned the world upside down. I want a revelation that disturbs me. I want a revelation that affects the way I live on earth and my hope for the world to come. I want a revelation that will affect my life to such a degree that I could actually and sincerely be able to say to you in my parting breath... Everything that happened to my life, whether good or bad was for you, the church, because that's the revelation Paul had. And he says this, and, and I just want you to see it in first Corinthians four, because it's a very powerful statement that Paul makes. And he's, and he's dealing obviously with a church that's baptized in the Holy spirit. This is a church filled with the Holy ghost. All of the gifts of the spirit are firing. I mean, they're at work. The Corinthians don't lack anything as far as the spirit of God, the power of God, the life of God. But man, were they ignorant of what the church was supposed to be. And so Paul deals with this and he says this in 1 Corinthians 4. And I want you to just follow with me. He says in verse 8, Now you are full, now you are rich, you have reigned as kings without us, And I would to God you did reign that we also might reign with you. So he's being sarcastic. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. Paul is stating in this confession that his life is fulfilling Ephesians chapter 3. My life is affecting principalities and powers. They are watching me. And the book of Acts, um, it might be chapter 8 or chapter 13. But there's a situation where there are these exorcists called the sons of Sceva. It's seven of them. And they're trying to cast a demon out of somebody. And in their effort to cast the demon out, they make this proclamation that we command you to come out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the, the demons spoke back to these men and they said, Jesus, we know, and Paul, we know, but who are you? That's why I say that Paul had a revelation of the church. He had a revelation of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit was in him. It affected his life that he had a reputation through hell. The demons actually said this. I know Jesus Christ personally. I know Jesus Christ experientially. I have heard about Paul. There's this rumor and testimony of his life. In other words, demons are talking about this man because he's such a threat to us. And would to God. Imagine if we all lived like that because of the revelation that we have of Jesus. And so he says, we're a spectacle to the world, angels and men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. You are wise in Christ. We are weak. You are strong. You are honorable, we are despised. At this present hour we hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We're made as the filth of the world and the offscoring of all things unto this day. And I'm not writing this to shame you. But as my beloved sons, I warn you, let that warning be to us today. If we have found our niche in this world to somehow have our foot in Christ and our foot in the world, that we have this peaceable, rich, respectable life, then maybe we're not doing this right. Because that's exactly what Paul is having to deal with. This relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, Paul would say, this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, my membership into the body of Christ has cost me everything. And what is happening in my life is what Jesus said would happen to those that follow him. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute. Now, I know this isn't popular preaching. But it's because of popular preaching, the world today, for the most part, is still ignorant of the church. And the revelation of the church. And look at the difference Paul made. 2,000 years ago, he still speaks to us. I pray that your life will be speaking to your grandchildren and your children. About Jesus Christ. And so this is an important concept that we're given here. Now Jesus, in reference to his church... In Matthew chapter 18, tells us some significant things. And, and, and while you're turning there, please, I don't assume that you will, but I am by no means trying to ask you to go be obnoxious. And, and I'm not by any means asking you to go out there and go make a fool of yourself. If you live for God, the world is not. And that will be the difference. But it's the grace of God. It's, it's, it, it comes from the revelation of the church. It doesn't come because you're just going to go out there and I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm God's answer for the world. No, I'm, it's not that. It's the grace of God in your life. It's love. It's the love of God that constrains you and drives you to be committed to Jesus Christ and to love people and to serve people. And the more that they hate you, the more that you love them. It's absolutely supernatural. So in Matthew 18 verse 15, Jesus says this, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth Of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. Verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so Jesus is talking about the authority that he's investing in his church. That the authority that Jesus places in his church is not simply a spiritual authority, which is tremendous, but it's also a civil authority. That Jesus intended that disputes that would arise in his kingdom would not be settled by the world's kingdom. That when there is things that are done among Christians injustice that might be done. Somebody does a job and, and maybe they didn't do it well. And the Christian brother is like, hey, they didn't do the job well. Or, or maybe the person did the job well and they didn't get paid. Then Jesus is like saying, I don't want you to take lawsuits to the world. Bring it to the church. Let the church make that decision. And then if the people that are in the wrong, because the church has an agreement about it. Whatever you agree on. And so it comes through these witnesses and there's a process. And if that person refuses to hear the church, then send them to the world. Count them as a publican. Count them as a publican because they're, they're not in obedience to that. Jesus wanted his matters handled in the church. I, I think if Jesus could speak modern today, he'd say that about Facebook. Don't iron your problems out on Facebook about my body. Don't do that. Let that happen within the church world. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Somebody does you wrong, go to them As, as a Christian and say, let's work this out because this is bigger than us. It's bigger than my feelings. This is about the church of Jesus Christ. And so he says in chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 18, he says this, and I say unto you, That you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, here is authority. But not only that, Jesus tells Peter... In reference to the church that he's building, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I intend for you to go into the world and unlock the treasures of heaven for men. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what Jesus did when he was on the earth? He just gave blessings to people everywhere. He, I want you to walk like that is what Jesus is saying. But it takes the church to do that. It takes all of the church to do that. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And remember, gates don't move. So it's not hell bringing it to the church. It's the church bringing it to hell. It's the church on the move. It's the church doing these things. Charles Spurgeon made these comments. I just wanted to read them because I think they're brilliant. If it is right for one Christian not to confess Christ and join a church... It must be allowable for others to do the same. Where would churches be? Where would the continuance of the gospel ordinances be? What church could plan? What church could move? What church could strategize in the Holy Spirit? Who would the Holy Spirit have to count on? Who would be bound to be a preacher if no one is even bound to make an open profession? I know there are some who say, well, I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. Now, why not? Because I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite sure about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient. Look, there is a brick. What is it made for? It's to help build a house. But it is no use for that brick to tell you that it is just as good a brick while it is kicked around on the ground as it would be in the house. No, it's a good for nothing brick. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury that you do. I was talking with somebody recently and says, You know, I'm just at the point I don't really like to identify myself as a Christian anymore. He had my attention. Well, what do you do? He said, Today, to make the distinction, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, or I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, because almost everybody in America is a Christian. Well, it used to be. It's probably less now, but so many people say, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But we're talking about followers of Jesus Christ, because when you become born again, the Holy Spirit puts you into the body of Christ and you become a part of the church of Jesus Christ and so I want to just give you a few things. I'm going to just, I'm going to make a, a quick little list of things about the importance of church membership, being a part of the church. And you can take this collectively as the church as a whole. When we're born again, we're placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And he puts us into the body where it pleases him, Right. It's where it pleases him. He puts us there and he fits us in that place. And there's also the body of Christ represented in local fellowships, in local communities. You have the body of Christ that is represented there. For example, when Jesus wrote letters to the churches in Revelation... If there were people that she says, you know what, I'm a Christian now and I don't need to go to church and I don't need to be so committed to all of that or to this group or to that group, they would have missed the, the words that Jesus gave. Because these were letters that were sent to the church, and the pastors of the church would respond and read these letters to the people. When Paul wrote letters, he said to the church that is in Chloe's house, to the church that is here in this house, to the church that's in Rome, to the church that's in Corinth, to the church that's in Ephesus. He identified multiple individualistic churches of people gathered together to worship God. These were a unit of believers fit together by the Holy Spirit to help the greater part of the body of christ and and these people were committed the church in acts you see it and they were very committed to one another continuing every day in the apostles doctrine and prayers breaking of bread and fellowship so i just want you to understand a few things i'm gonna just give you a list the importance of church membership number one it is the means by which god's wisdom is displayed we've read that I'm not going to belabor that. That's Ephesians chapter 3. The intention of God cannot be fulfilled without the church. And the church cannot function properly without everyone born again functioning in it. Takes every one of us as a reason that, that you're in the church. Number two, it is the means by which an individual believer is going to grow and mature. Relationship and fellowship in the church is the means of your spiritual growth and maturity and stability. This is Ephesians chapter 4 verses 13 through 16. I've read this. We've studied it for weeks. So I don't have time to just go back and read these scriptures again. But the Bible says that Jesus gave gifts to men. And those gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they come into the body of Christ by the desire of God, by the will of God, not that they're better than anybody else. And God just simply says, this is where you're going to work in my body. And they minister to the body of Christ in such a degree that they help the church grow. They help the members grow. They equip the members to do the work of the ministry. They help establish them and root them in Jesus Christ so they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so according to Ephesians chapter 4, if you want healthy growth in Jesus Christ, you want healthy discipleship, you are going to be a part of a local assembly under that authority and headship that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16 and 18. That's if you want it. I mean, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it, but you're not going to be matured. You're not going to have healthy growth. It will be stunted To whatever degree that would be. The third thing is. It is the provision of safety and protection against the enemy. The church. Being a part of a church. Being a part of a local assembly. Is a provision of God for safety and protection. We in America have been raised to be independent. We have been raised to do it ourselves and do it alone. We've been told that's what a man really is. Well, that's not what a man really is. A man, according to the Bible, is Jesus Christ. And even Jesus Christ, when he was suffering, would oftentimes take three of his closest men and say, come pray with me. Come help me. And there would be prayer. And he would go back to them often for that assistance. You see this in in the Bible. And so this is the place of protection. It's a provision that God gives us for safety and protection in our life. In the body of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are eyes and ears and mouths and gifts and callings. You as an individual believer do not have all of those abilities. You're an ear or you're a mouth, but you're not both. You're eyes, but you're not a mouth. You can't be both. He, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. So what does that mean? It means that I need to be in a fellowship that has other gifts functioning in their life for my own safety and protection. And who gives people the authority to be an eye? It's not some pastoral board. It's not a deacon board who gives somebody the authority to be a mouth. Or the authority to be an ear. Uh, Who is an eye? Who is an ear? Who makes that decision? Well, it's simple it's the person that can see. That's the authority to be an eye. And the authority to be an ear is the person that can hear. And the person that can go is the authority of being the feet. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are within the body of Christ that are functioning through us. Not that we are limited to one gift because the gift is the Holy Spirit. He can do anything through our life that he desires to do. But it is it is the accumulation of all of the people and all of the members and the Holy Ghost flowing through them that gives me protection. The Bible says, and you see so many times these analogies of like, you know, particularly in in, in the Outback and, you know, some of the, the, the safaris in, in Africa where you you will find these lions and 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 hyenas and things like that. What do they prey on? They prey on the one that's separated themselves from the herd. They, they pray on the one that's sick. They pray on the one that's dying. They pray on the one that's offended. They pray on the one that's bitter. They pray on the one that's hurt. They pray on the one that's limping along. They pray on the young because this is an easy target. That's who they pray. But the, but, but the herd that's, that's tight and running through that, through that place, the, the lions have rare access to that. So what does the devil want you to do? I want to pull you off alone. I want to get your feelings hurt. I want somebody to gossip about you. So you'll sulk about it. I I, I want to deal with this in your life. I want to hurt you. I I want to make you old and and make you think that you don't count anymore. And the church doesn't need you anymore. I want you to make you think you're so young and you're so naive and you're so wet behind the ears. You just need to sit on the sidelines until you get old. And and the lion's going to come and eat you up. No, no, that's not what we do. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It's the church together that's strong and mighty and powerful because we have eyes that see and ears that hear and hands that work and gifts that operate and we protect one another. And what do we do? What do we do when we're living close to each other and we're able to understand, Hey, what's that you're getting into? What's this teaching that you're listening to? Who's who's this guy you're watching on YouTube right now? And you begin to discern because you're friends, you begin to discern, you know what, I think you're getting a little bit out of the word here. Do you have some time this week where we could just sit and kind of go through this in the word of God together? And what does that do? It protects me from going into error and deception and doctrines of devils. But if I don't have relationships with you and friendship with you, I don't know who you're listening to. I don't know what you're reading. I don't know where you're going. I don't know anything. And, and the Bible, Jesus even said it, beware lest any man deceive you. So what, it's the body of Christ functioning together and working together, being intimately involved. We know each other. We love each other. We understand what's going on. And that's what Paul, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we speak the truth in love to one another so we can stay straight in the word of God. We help each other do that. And that is one of the blessings of being a member in the body of Christ. You be a part of it. It's, it's, It's as much as you want it to be, but we become a part of it. And there's safety there. And there's protection there. And protection through participation. And it is by this fellowship that Satan's purposes are defeated and soundly defeated. Starve yourself, you starve the body. Feed yourself, you feed the body. Let the Holy Spirit move in the body. Serve one another. John chapter 4, Jesus was hungry. And he wanted something to eat and he sent his disciples off to get something to eat. A woman that comes and meets him at the well and he ministers to her and He's satisfied. I have meat to eat that you don't even know of. And and there was such a satisfaction in Jesus of serving. And I believe that's such a truth. You know, even in my hardest moments of life, if I have a revelation of the church, I'm not going to do anything to hurt the church. I'm not going to do anything to grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do anything to quench him. I can be going through hell. I can be going through the hardest things in my life. I can be the most depressed person in this room. But you know what? I got to crucify that self. And I've got to praise God and worship God. And I need the Holy Spirit to move through my life. Because I don't want to hurt the church of Jesus Christ. I want to help him. It doesn't mean there's not a place to cry. does it mean there's not a place to mourn. Absolutely. You can lay it all out at the feet of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I'm crying and hurting and fighting depression. There's a Holy Ghost moving through my life. And the both can happen. Both can happen at the same time. And so I'm I'm going to. um, I'm horrible at numbers and points. Okay. So I'm starting over really quick the reasons and benefits of membership number 1 it identifies a person as a genuine believer you're a genuine believer when you're committed to the church because to be committed to a church you're going to get hurt you're going to get your feelings hurt you're going to be offended but you're there because the holy ghost put you there i had this thought It's waste that moves through the body, not organs and members. I'll stop there. Number two, it provides a spiritual family to support and encourage you in your walk with Christ. It's wonderful to be intimate with people who love Jesus because I'm going to need to lean on them. I'm going to need to depend on them. I'm going to need encouragement from them. Call if you come up. Number three. It gives you a place to discover and use your gifts in ministry. Gives you a place to discover and use your gifts in ministry. What am I supposed to do? I want to serve God. Jesus is coming. I want my life to make a difference. What am I supposed to do? Well, what does your church need? He put you there. But then we become picky, right? The nursery needs volunteers. I don't work in the nursery. Those kids need Jesus. They need people that are praying over them, protecting them, praying that they'll give their hearts to Jesus the very first moment they're convicted of their sins. Man, to live for God in that nursery. So that we can do everything we can for the life of God to affect their precious little hearts and spirits before the devil does? Oh, Lord. Or we need people in the tech. Or we need people in fireplace. Or we need people helping with Operation Shoebox. Is that not it? What is it? Christmas child. Shoebox is it? Amen. So we need help with all of this. But but we dismiss ourselves because we say, well, I'm not really called to that. So what do we do? You're going to spend the next 10 years. What am I supposed to do for God? But when you recognize needs that are in the church, even if they're not needs that you feel overly qualified for, or you feel like they're very beneath you, get involved anyway. Because if any church is worth its salt, you're not going to go into that church for the first time And the next month you're serving the kids. The Bible says, know those who labor among you. Know them. Don't lay hands suddenly on any man. There's an understanding of people that come into any type of fellowship. And you don't know them from Adam. So what do you do? We got to build relationship. We, We have to be patient. We have to take some time. When you get into that body... And, and you begin to be a servant in that body, and you love that body, and the body's getting to know you, and the body's watching you, and, and trust is growing, and the gift in your life is growing. Ministry just opens up. More and more things begin to happen. You don't have to be perfect. You just testify of the faith that you have. The fourth thing is that it places you under spiritual protection of godly leaders. Places you under the spiritual protection of godly leaders. Hebrews 13 verses 7 and 17 talks about... Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their lifestyle. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves. They watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. It's unprofitable for you. And so God puts leadership into your life, not because we're better, it's His choice. And so we want to be able to provide leadership into your life. Why? So that your life can be profitable. Not that your life is more difficult, but your life is profitable. And so we share the word of God with you. Well, well, for me to be able to pray for you or help you or our pastors to pray for you and help you, we have to know one another. We have to know what's going on in each other's lives. Number five, the last thing is this. It gives accountability that's needed to grow. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This accountability to grow, I've preached a good bit about it even today. But there in the body of Christ where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is in the midst of them. And there's worship and there's fellowship and discipleship and ministry and evangelism. And it should be the most wonderful expression of Christ that is on the earth today. The religious would try to make it ugly. But the believers, they want it to be so beautiful. They want it to be so full of the Holy Spirit. They want it to be free for the Holy Spirit to move through everybody's life. And everybody's valued, everybody's important because we've all been saved by His grace. And nobody's better than another. What a beautiful place! And before you meet Jesus, you should want to do everything in the grace of God that you can to make the church of Jesus more beautiful because you're in it. Father, I thank you that you've given us this incredible blessing to be in the body of Christ, to be saved, to be joined to you, God. And Lord, just as we close here this morning, Help us to not be ignorant of what prophets and angels have looked into so diligently and it's ours now. Let us understand it and give us the revelation of it. We're just going to take a moment and sing and give you an opportunity to just speak to the Lord. Ask the Lord to move upon your heart in regards to